Three, two, one. Hi, and welcome to the Good Hope podcast on the 10th of March. This is episode nine, and we have our first guest, Bilal Katrada. Hi, Bilal, how are you doing? Very well, thanks. How are you? And thanks for having me on your show. You're welcome. Welcome. So let me do a quick uh, intro. I'm going to read up a profile on Bilal just to introduce him. Bilal Katrada is an edtech entrepreneur and is the founder of IT Varsity in South Africa. He is a multi-award winning app developer. He also runs Xander, a company that develops educational apps for children and kids. The Xander app has been downloaded more than one million times from the App Store. He is a software engineer by profession and is also an author, keynote speaker, newspaper columnist, strategist, uh, educational digital formation advisor. He is a lecturer at a number of notable institutions, such as the University of KwaZulu-Natal in Durban and the Durban University of Technology and the University of Johannesburg. He was featured in a book called The Developer Advocate for his work in promoting software development as a career in South Africa. He is a columnist at the Cape Argus and the Daily News and the Star newspaper. He appeared on a number of medias such as SABC3 and SAFM. He has a podcast entitled Tech Watch, which covers the latest developments in technology and social implication. The podcast is available on a number of local and international platforms. He is a regular speaker on a number of notable events such as GovTech, and he consults at a number of educational institutions and business on transformation for the fourth industrial revolution. Welcome, Bilal. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> it's the first time we are interviewing someone in the podcast, so it's, it's quite exciting. It's a new start. Cool. So, it's exciting to be here. <laughs> so, Pedro, where should we start here? <laughs> Well, I see. I think we can start like by talking about uh, education. I understand it's the, the it's a hot topic uh, with our guest, and uh, basically, what challenges uh, you see on South African society and in Africa in general in terms of education, and how can we solve that? Yeah, Bilal, we leave the floor to you, and you can enlighten us more about what your topics are and the fourth industrial revolution and your apps and your development and feel free to go ahead absolutely uh, I, I just want to ask how long is this episode because i need about three hours <laughs> <laughs> it's quite flexible you know <laughs> yeah look it's uh it's a uh, it's my pet topic it's my passion it's also my pet peeve in south africa the whole topic of uh, education um, where do I even begin? So let's start at the top, right? We're living through this age known as the fourth industrial revolution, and we we are seeing major major changes happening all over the world. And what's what? You know, there's there's some parts of it that are that are outright scary, and there are some parts that we see on the other hand that are very encouraging. So, for example. Thanks to the fourth industrial revolution. Now, this is driven by artificial intelligence and the Internet of Things, robots, uh, etc. What's happening is companies are able to streamline in a way they never could before. And as a result of the streamlining, they are employing less and less and less people every year. So in a nutshell, what's happening is the, the, the global 
formal employment sector is on a decline. We can see that. It's not just South Africa. It's a global phenomenon. Now, just to give you an example of where AI is, is going to, or is already currently replacing people, um, take self-driving cars, for example. Self-driving cars are becoming slowly but surely mainstream in the United States, in Europe, mm-hmm. and it's only a matter of time before it comes to Africa. Now, what's going to happen to all the driver's jobs, all the people whose profession it is to drive? So they're going to be uh, you know, out of a job within the next two or three decades. So that's the one side. But the other side, the, the bright side of it is that technology is also creating opportunities. There are tons and tons of opportunities that are being created that we generally find people in, in other countries taking advantage of, but not so much in South Africa. Here's an example, right? Uh, two or three decades ago, Bangladesh was one of the poorest, poorest countries in the world. I mean, these guys were hitting a rock bottom, right? But then there's something very strange happened. A complete economic transformation took place in the country where they started promoting small-time entrepreneurs. They started promoting digital enterprises. And within a matter of of two decades, the country has totally transformed itself. Recently, I read a, a very interesting article on Business Forum where they say that Bangladesh is aiming to become a developed country over the next three decades, Mm -hmm. from a developing to a fully developed country, Mm -hmm. which is phenomenal. And the other point that they made, and, and, you know, the the, the point that they they made was that Bangladesh currently has 600,000 IT freelancers. IT freelancers. Let us think in, right? These guys are not IT professionals working for companies these are just freelancers. And you know what I find really interesting is why did Business Forum specifically mention the IT freelancers? Why was it why why did it warrant a specific mention in the article? I'll tell you mm-hmm. why. Because that is the future. Mm-hmm. The future is small businesses, it's freelancing, it's a global IT services sector. I mean, last week, our president, uh, Cyril Ramaphosa, came on record as saying that the, the, the days of of waiting for big companies to to create jobs is over. The future is small businesses. And right now, to become an IT freelancer is the easiest thing. You've got a phone, you've got a laptop, you've got an internet connection, you've got a table at Starbucks, you're in business. <laughs> you can get started and do business globally. <laughs> so that's, that's my gripe with what's happening in South Africa is our education system is so outdated both, you know, from primary through high school, through university level. Um, we, yes, a lot of schools are producing, uh, you know, lots of A's, A-plus students. But at no stage in the entire schooling process are people exposed to entrepreneurship. At no stage they are... I agree, told, I agree. Yeah, so that's my that's my gripe with, uh, with education. And what, what I'm trying to do in my own tiny little way with my startup, IT Varsity, is to expose youth to technology as well as uh, entrepreneurship. I mean, you, you, you typically, if you, if you go online, you can do a search for a school that teaches business skills. So you've got your business schools, and then you've got your IT skills, right? Mm. Uh, or institutes that teach IT skills. But there's none that teach you both intertwined into one. 
how do you go about starting an IT business of your own? So, you know, for me, education should be about that. It should be about prepping our young people for the fourth industrial revolution, for the global IT services sector, for starting and running their own tech businesses because the opportunities are phenomenal and it's there for the picking for anybody and everybody. So you, you, so believe, yeah, you, you, you believe that, <laughs> Bill, you believe that in the future, instead of having, let's say, 50 developers in the same building working for the same company, we could have like 10 in that company and then 40 distributed all over the world and let's say co uh, remotely coordinated to uh, complete a project, let's say. Yeah, it's it's not even something of the future. It's already happening, right? I mean, uh, what's encouraging is that I I met with a company in Port Elizabeth here in South Africa that is working on the exact same model. And what's really encouraging is that they've tuned the entire business model to operate on the back of IT freelancers. So the project management team, the senior software engineers sit in the main uh, Uh, office. Well, you know what? Uh, let me be more accurate. He, he stays close to the office. He spent most of his time in Nazna, which uh, is one of the most beautiful scenic places mm -hmm. in South Africa. But beautiful. he manages his, his teams of developers around the country and they're doing phenomenal work. But then if you look at the trendsetters in the United States, you look at what's happening with, with the big guys, Google and Facebook and Apple. Now they've gone into the, the remote working paradigm. Everybody's working remotely. And what's what and, and that's creating a new phenomenon known as the Zoom towns. So these people are moving out of mm -hmm. uh, of San Francisco and uh, Seattle and all the big cities, and they're going to these little uh, underrated towns, and they're buying up properties there. They they're getting uh, connected to their workplaces from there, and they're running there. They uh, well, they they bring their work from there. So they they're getting decentralized. You would say decentralized and they call these zoom <laughs> towns because everybody's working on zoom <laughs> so i think it's already happening and that's very encouraging Mm -hmm. For us, is very interesting to hear because, in a way, our company operates like that. You know, we have we have uh, multiple locations in three continents, and all of them have to coordinate with each other and with the headquarters, but operate with a lot of autonomy, and some somehow you know it works. I think Fantastic. it's important to have a, a very strong culture that that. Uh, All elements that are connected to this network share uh, uh, same values and same culture. Otherwise, you know, you start to having uh, different priorities, different uh, attitudes towards problem solving, uh, different levels of effort. But as long as the culture is 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 a common, it's possible to let's say to disseminate a, a cultural level across the organization. I think decentralized works. That's our experience. I think the culture is important and accountability is very important and deadlines and timelines. I mean, uh, you have to have a strong driving force from the top to control like puppets, you know, like how you have to have someone controlling the whole team. Absolutely. I, 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 I'll go one step further to say that culture is everything. Yes, Because if you got the, the right culture, your business will run itself. 
as yes. long as you look after that culture mm, yes. everything yes. else will will look after itself and i like what uh, what you're saying um uh, uh pedro that the 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 culture today and this is the millennial mindset right they don't want to be told how to do their jobs they want to be told what to do a 100% yes. <laughs> And then step out of the way. Let them yes. Put themselves out. Yeah. yeah. I, I was having you know, a meeting with the team here. Uh, all all offices connected, and I was telling them, imagine that somebody drops an atomic bomb here in in Lisbon, and the office here, myself, all the senior management is incinerated and disappears. Our ideal is nothing happens. All the other offices continue to operate like mm. nothing happened and i was yeah. even telling them you know dedicate yourselves less to control but more to the values and more to your passion and more to uh, building things because you know if i stop controlling i don't want you to stop working so to to, to to try to have this this kind of culture of entrepreneurship uh, distributed entrepreneurship let's say fantastic i mean you you probably already uh yeah uh, you know uh attracting all the best people to work for you because that's what they want today i i i really admire what you guys are doing yeah people don't want to be micromanaged anymore they want to just deliver on the end results and they want to be flexible with their time especially whether it's going to gym or family and what not i think uh, lockdowns changed a lot of people's attitude won't you say globally lockdowns had a effect 100% the lockdown was i think i think the lockdown only accelerated what was already happening mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know so, so beneath the the surface there was this change that was slowly taking place but come lockdown and it got accelerated now the the traditional thinking companies the ones that were resistant to this change were forced to embrace it and they were forced to to allow their their workers to work remotely and new studies are coming out right when they when they are showing that people are just as productive if not more productive now than ever before and it's such a mm. such a wonderful change that's taking place in the world mm. look well, some companies like i've read on a company in america they used to spend over 15 million dollars on flights internally in america obviously it's a listed uh, a public company but i mean uh, <laughs> zooms now saved them more than 15 million dollars to their bottom line That's amazing and that's that's the new norm isn't it fantastic <laughs> but I, I, maybe I'm a dinosaur but I, I I strongly believe that face to face is critical I I don't see a, a, any relationship surviving because uh, I, I would not educate my my kids via zoom for the same reason I I, I know I want to be with my team face to face shake hands laugh together have a drink I think those things uh so normally when 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 critically important basically we were here at this uh, let's say f- totally pre- in presence now the trend is like oh it, offices are not needed anymore but somehow but this will the, this will adjust to something that makes that has of balance course. of course because uh, i i think that's you know i tell to 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 the teams you know uh, whenever i can travel the first thing i'll do maybe immediately after easter is i'm going to fly to nigeria i don't see my guys there for more than one year shake hands sit down with them have a coffee listen to them laugh together drink together i think it's so 
it's it's so important. It's so important to 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 have a, a real connection and not just a, a virtual one. Of course, Zoom enables us to enabled Zoom. I would say Zoom plus culture enabled us to continue to operate for more than one year without seeing each other and without dropping performance. But there is a limit to this. There is a limit to this. I, I, yeah, no, I agree. At some stage, there must be a touch point where, you know, there is the physical contact. There's never a replacement for that. I, I agree fully. I imagine Especially that in the future, in maybe, maybe solutions like uh, one week per month in the office, something like that are feasible. Instead of full months in the office, just each person goes one week per month and tries to meet relevant people during this week. The rest can be remotely. So a Silicon Valley executive could live in Texas, but as long as one week per month goes to California, something like that. 100%. You know, it, it also, it also uh, resolves another issue that's coming out in the you know, remote workforce. You know, a person working alone all the time, and I noticed this with my staff, working, because we've got a completely remote workforce, uh, you know, distributed throughout South Africa. One of the things that I noticed was they, they, they tend to feel lonely and, and yes, they, get to, yes, you know, they tend to get demotivated. So, you know, in, the, in an office, in a physical scenario, we're kind of thriving off each other's energy, you know? 100%. So, yeah, so the, definitely, I think there should be face-to-face -face meetups. But the one way, the one short-term solution that we've we've uh, put into place, because I mean, we are a small company, and we've got people like you know in Cape Town, in Johannesburg, and in Durban, and all over. We have regular regular Zoom meetings where we just we just catch up, we just all get together and talk nonsense, no no actual work discussions. But I try and meet my staff at least once every couple of months, you know, go and have a cup of tea, like you're saying, Pedro, have yeah. a meal, have a drink together and, and just talk. I, 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 I think there's, there's, there's always a place for the traditional as well as the, the technological um, space. <laughs> exactly. So I, I would say that, look, uh, as you say, lockdowns accelerated things. I, I use this term, like things in the world got accelerated times 10, like a 10x, you know. So uh, what it has showed us that what is possible and uh, that work can happen remotely. But now, I mean, I'm sitting in my office, Pedro, you sitting in your office. We are still using 5,000 miles apart. 5,000 <laughs> miles apart, 100%. But... Uh, as we discuss, you know, to go have a haircut, get dressed, go to work, leave the home environment, you need that to be, uh, it, you're not as optimum and, and as productive working from home, I would say for myself. I just find I'm more optimum and productive being uh, in the office and dressed up. But it now uh, gives you this extension of Zoom and all this video conferencing that you no more have excuse and you're not lazy. A lot of people never used Zoom before in their lives. So now it's introduced them to the, you know, to the technology, but it's now you're going to use it to innovate further into your business. So say now we need to have a meeting with a guy in Ghana. We don't have to first immediately fly to meet him. We could have an intro call on Zoom. Once we see, oh, there's some progression, then book the flight, hotel, accommodation, visas, all this process. But uh, the touching point is no more just a phone call. You can actually have this presence and conference calls. I think uh, it has changed the way the world works. Mm -hmm. It has, it has. It's, it's made things much easier. By the way, 
Pedro, in which part of the world are you? I'm in Portugal, uh, South Europe. Ah. Southwest, okay, okay, Southwest Europe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, fantastic. <laughs> Not far from where our sailors left to, to go to the Cape of Good Hope. Mm. Yeah, oh, that, that's why you call yeah. this the Good Hope podcast. <laughs> there is a <laughs> historical connection, very strong. You know, we, for us Portuguese, uh, the Cape of Good Hope is a mythical place. Because our okay. sailors, you know, uh, died uh, for for many many years attempting to to cross from the west side of Africa to the east side of Africa, and it was at uh, the toughest part of the journey. They would leave Portugal, go down the coast of Africa. We're talking uh, 1500s, yeah, 15, 1400s even. Uh, yes, yes. They would go down the, the 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 west coast of Africa and then turn in the in in Cape Town, and and start going north through the east side. But that turn in the Cape of Good Hope is extremely dangerous because of the strong winds. Any anyone that goes there will feel the the wind blowing. Windy very, city. It's called the windy city. Yeah, very very powerful yeah, winds, yeah. and for yeah. those small wooden boats would would kill them. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, our province, KwaZulu Natal, the, the word Natal is a Portuguese word, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Natalia means Christmas. Yeah, Natal means, means Christmas, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so it was named by the Portuguese. <laughs> yes. Cool. <laughs> uh, Bilal, tell us more about this uh, amazing Zando app that's been downloaded more than a million times. So Zender is, uh, it's not one app, it's, it's a suite of about 75 apps. Okay. Uh, and uh, it's that many because uh, we've got uh, apps in nine different languages. Uh, we've amazing, got um, most of South Africa's uh, national languages and including Swahili. So we, we're aiming for the, for the North African market with uh, the Swahili apps. And on okay. our uh, pipeline, uh, we've, we're also looking at some Arabic apps. We've had requests for Arabic. Um, the yeah. apps are basically targeted at uh, early childhood development and early primary school. These are not e-learning apps per se. They're more practice apps. So, I mean, a child won't learn the concepts by using our apps, but they will consolidate the concepts. So they play games. It's incidental learning. They play little games. They they uh, will do a puzzle, and within the course of that, they'll be learning a language, for example. So the puzzle will be, for example, you got a, you got a person there, the, a figure of a person, and then you, you make them wear an, uh, a policeman's uh, clothing. And then uh, you, the app will tell you that this, uh, this is a policeman in, in the different languages, right? And uh, that's how the child learns. So not technically e-learning, but more uh, practice apps. So we've got, um, we, the, the, the company, actually the company started out as Arithmetic, which was a company that I started in 2012. And Zender was not started by us. We actually acquired it in late 2019 and we merged it into Arithmetic. And we just gave it the name because Arithmetic was very maths-based. It's a maths-based app and mm -hmm. Zender is, is more generally, it's got maths and it's got languages and things. So, yeah, since 2019, the company was renamed to Zender, and we've been running it since then. We're currently on the Apple App Store and Google Play Store. We also got partnerships with MTN, Celsi, uh, Vodacom. They've got their own uh, app stores where they're distributing our apps also. 
Oh, mm-hmm. congratulations. That's amazing. Oh, thanks, man. Interesting. Yeah. Do you think that when I when I see into digital when I look into digital platforms, it looks like that uh, somehow uh, all of the successful ones become uh, global businesses. Uh, in a, let's say winner takes all uh, event. If you if you see, for example, uh, video streaming, anyone will think about YouTube. And struggle to th- to say another one. If we say music streaming, we'll say Spotify, Apple, iTunes, and maybe struggle to find the next one. If you say you know podcasts, it's Apple Podcasts, it's uh, Spotify it's Spotify again. again, and that's it. If we say audiobooks, it's uh, Audible from Amazon, and I don't know any anyone else. Uh, so the question is: Is this a winner takes all? And in online education uh, will will have the Spotify of online education? So I, I, I don't believe that it's, it's winner takes all. I think there's a lot of marketing hype. There's a lot of, uh, it's excellent branding. I'll give you that. YouTube is the leader, but there mm. are other streaming providers like Vimeo who, who are not on the scale of YouTube, but they offer certain benefits and certain, uh, you know, characteristics that YouTube doesn't. Now, to give you an example, right, uh, we use Vimeo to host our uh, videos on IT Varsity. So our learning right, management right. system doesn't host its own videos. The videos are hosted on Vimeo. Why did we choose Vimeo? Because Vimeo has a security feature that doesn't exist on YouTube, which is that our videos can only be played from one URL, which is the itvarsity.org URL. You can't play from anywhere else. You can't even play from Vimeo directly. So it's a lockdown kind of scenario where the videos are locked to our URL. So I think there's a lot of smaller players that are that are not known. Number one. Number two. I think uh, you know that there, there is there are lots of opportunities for little uh, little companies to come into the scene and disrupt the bigger guys. You know, I was having a conversation. I was at a hackathon last about two weeks back. And this guy comes to me and, you know, he, uh, he knows that I'm in uh, e-learning. So he says, yeah, but you should be on, uh, on Udemy and you should be on Skillshare and get smarter and things. Uh, why aren't you on that? These guys own the market, they're 90% of the market. So I just looked at him and I smiled and I says, you know what? I don't want to partner with these guys. I want to take them down. I want their market share. You tell me what is the next big thing in education? Currently, they are the big thing. I want to be the next big thing. I want to be the iPhone to what Nokia was, right? To what BlackBerry was. So the guy uh, quietly walked away because he couldn't give me an answer. So I, I, I think there's, there's terrific opportunities for uh, disruptors to come about. And it doesn't mean that YouTube's got the strang- stranglehold on the market or Uber's got a stranglehold on the market that no one else can topple them. I think that it's just a matter of time before we see them replaced by uh, other companies. That's just the way of the world. Mm-hmm. What about business model, subscription versus advertisement supported? Because you know anyone can teach uh, mathematics on YouTube for the listener or for the audience is free, but there is an, aud- an advertising contract supporting that, that lesson versus uh, paying to have, to have the lesson. How do you how do you see that evolving? 
yeah. So this this actually that's very interesting, and it's an ongoing debate. Uh, ever since we started IT Varsity, we also had the similar similar debate. Even Zender, for that matter. But, you know, it's a matter of personal choice, and it's a matter of where do you see your business going, and how do you how do you want to be positioned in the market. So uh, about three weeks ago, I met with a with a venture capitalist, and this guy says, "Well, look, we want to invest in IT Varsity." But the only thing we don't like, we love everything, but the only thing we don't like is your business model, which is uh, per, uh, you buy the course. It's, yeah. a, it's a course that you buy at 25,000 rams, and that's it. So his suggestion was, why don't you go into the subscription model, drop your price to 500 rands a month, and uh, you know, go subscription. So you know, I politely told him, yes, you know, I'll think about it. But I really, you know, for me, it's not... It's not. It, it's a. It's a personal choice as the founder and the CEO of the business, and I have my reasons uh, for going that model. Which is not to say that the subscri- subscription model is bad. It's not a bad model. It's a very scalable model. It's a global, uh, globally accessible model. But the problem I found with it personally was that with the with the institutes that have the uh, the the subscription model, for example, there's a very high attrition rate. So the very high dropout rate, yes. research being done in the United States, that showed almost 80 to 90% dropout rates. Now, okay. my question is, we can't afford that in South Africa. 100%. If you're trying to transform education in a country, if you're trying to uh, produce youth who are ready to hit the market, then we can't afford to have a model where, you know, you subscribe and you're on the system, you're just another database entry. And if you succeed, good. If you don't succeed, well, you know, your problem. We can't have that. So our model is very strongly support-based. I mean, from the moment you sign up, you're getting an email, you're getting assigned a support person, a mentor, somebody that's going to hold your hand and guide you through the learning process. If you don't log in for a, for a few days, you're getting a call from us that, hey, Pedro, hey, Mohammed, you haven't uh, signed up. Are you okay? Is everything well? So that model is what Africa needs. It's what Africa's youth needs. But it's an expensive model. You can't scale that into a, uh, a subscription or an advertising model. It's impossible. You will never make money. You'll go out of business. So we're, we're in a precarious situation where, you know, uh, based on our vision, we have to have a certain uh, pricing model. Uh, so the subscription won't actually it, it, it work won't for the work. IT you, you would go broke if you go subscription. I'm almost sure. Because you would lose sev- you would lose you would lose seventy five percent of your revenue immediately, overnight. Agreed. Yes. Agreed. Because but because are, the point the point are, is that in education in many other uh, services our own case five thousand miles is, is a bit the same. There is two phases. This is the phase of enthusiasm, where the person commits, and then these, the the phase of hard work because learning is 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 hard work also. And uh, we need people to commit to learn. So if you want to learn, you pay full price and you learn. If you just want to come and try and experience, you know, it's not going to work because you will not learn anything. You pay two months and then you drop out. You yeah. waste your money. We don't teach you anything. And it's, it's going to be, uh, it's going to fail. I totally, I totally believe first, in yeah. models. If it's entertaining, if it's to stream music, if it's to stream videos, Okay, for entertaining, I think that uh, subscriptions work well. But for things that take effort, 
committed effort and let's say commit to stay learning straight reading watching content for six months straight you know either you pay or you're going to drop out either you commit financially I, let's say i agree 100 percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah you probably and, would uh, see a curve like after two three months so there'd be a turning point and then you'd see the yeah the drop because, because they follow the dream not the not the perception that it's it's it takes effort hard work it takes effort yes, yes. And it takes hard work and people lose courage especially young people and they need to be constantly encouraged and uh, you know just to give you guys an idea coding is a difficult difficult subject to mm -hmm. teach and uh, i actually tried a subscri subscription service uh, american based very good excellent content but you're pretty much on your own if you have a problem you know you can ask questions on the forums and somebody may or may not answer with yeah. us at iDiversity, we, we've changed the model where within an hour, you need to get an answer. We have a, a, a very dynamic chat where if you have a problem, you put it on the chat and there's somebody there to help you within an hour, more than an hour, an hour too long. It's a fail on our part. So, so I, you're I offering guess, the service and the support rather. The service and the support. So I guess, you know, the, the model, the business model will, will depend largely on what you're trying to achieve. You know, so the subscription That's model, it. if you want global scale, if you want large numbers, high revenue, high volume, uh, low subscription, high revenue, that, that works. But not what we are trying to achieve. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. I think subscriptions yeah. might work on, as you're saying, YouTube or apps or something like that. That's a good uh, model. But when it comes to commitment, especially... I mean, you're actually dealing with a person that's probably 18 years old and now committing to educating themselves for the next two or three years. They need to commit and be, uh, you know, dedicated to that. So paying the once-off fee, I think, is the better model. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, for us, the Zander model is is cheap, 30 rands to 40 rands for an app. But there we know you bought the app, it's yours to use. There's no support or anything that you will need. There. Mm. It's just, mm. you know, it's just yeah, an app. So do, do, do you us. think yeah. education uh, I'm just brainstorming now but I, I feel that maybe it's a sector that is going to be the value chain is going to be unbundled w what I mean with this let's say a university together today the university is a building so it's like a, a facilities a physical structure it's uh, staff so it's teachers that, that, that talk with students and it's content, so books and uh, whatever materials they have to, to study, plus a system for evaluation and all of that. And maybe this was like this for thousands of years, you know. Uh, but uh, maybe uh, what we are going to see progressively is a separation of the components of the value chain. Example, and I'm just making this up now, so correct me freely <laughs> imagine you say uh, for example harvard harvard as harvard is the best school for business and whatever okay so contents come from harvard videos are recorded in harvard and people pay to see those videos so now where do they see them they can see at home or they can use a building that we 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 call school and they go to this building to what? To interact with other colleagues that are also studying, uh, studying from home and to access teachers that can uh, clarify doubts, questions, but on the Harvard content. So basically, 
winner takes all on the content because if if Harvard is the best, then it would be the best mm. content. But then each city, each uh, country would Satellite. have its local, yeah, local infrastructures to consume that content with local support. Maybe. Yes, yes, <laughs> I, I agree. I think so. Bilal, you're going first. So can I add on to something there? Go for so, it. Go for so, it. So just uh, okay, I'm going to explain this uh, how I see it. Right, like out of Singapore, it's very expensive to live in Singapore. Okay, so the border of uh, Malaysia is on in line with Singapore. So people prefer traveling one hour into Malaysia and they live there and commute to Singapore. So they built a small city, I think it was called Johu Baru, okay? And they built the city in probably a normal field, but they put state-of-the-art accommodation, supermarkets, and campuses, okay? And what they did there is they took the campuses and they linked them up with the top universities in the world. So your child could go to this university just out of Singapore, but it'd be, the, uh, the content would be from Stanford University or Harvard, as you're saying. Okay, that that's one case. So the content is from Stanford. Your exams is written, but you are sitting in Malaysia in this place called Johor Bahru. Okay, um, that's one one scenario. The second one is call it like MIT University, it's top university in the world. MIT they now have a crypto course which is uh, written or the content was created by Get Smarter. Bilal, you know Get Smarter, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah. you can go online and pay 40,000 Rand and do the six weeks course and qualify with the MIT qualification anywhere in the world. But the content was actually written by a South African company that uh, MIT, uh, what you say, that distributed it through MIT or they affiliated with MIT. So they now Bihal, you can, sorry? I say MIT endorsed it. Yes. Yeah, no, or, or MIT outsourced the, you know, the writing of the content to Get Smarter. Maybe you can explain more on Get Smarter. What, what do they do to Pedro? But it, in a way, it's an unbundling. It's an unbundling. It's a separation of components of the value chain. For, so yes. basically, MIT is saying, okay, we have a, a streaming service and we also have uh, a reputation, reputation to yeah. certify uh experts that are not physically here or do not work for mit but we can act also as a certification authority and so you know anyone yeah. can produce content they will review it they will certify it and then they will sell it as mit certified it's like an unbundling it is it is i think i think it's that unbundling is so granular that most people don't realize right you know, I, I, I'm thinking about the old days in the 1800s, 1700s. If you wanted to become uh, a master at physics or medicine, you would go and you would study under an expert. Right? There was mm -hmm. no such thing as yes. a university or medical school. Uh, you know, most of our the, the pioneers in physics and, you know, the other sciences, they, they went to an expert. So if you knew that in Berlin at that time, there was an expert physician, uh, uh, physicist, you would go and study by him. So I think we're returning to that sort of uh, scenario mm -hmm. where we we are in a position to uh, yes, find the yes. best of breed, the, the global experts in what they do. So, for example, uh, in a school, right, Mohammed, when, when you and I met, we spoke about yeah. uh, your kids being at one school and then you move them to another. But you know what? 
that might be one of the best schools but it doesn't necessarily have the best teachers in every mm. subject yes so mm. in the future what's going to happen is we are going to have uh, a scenario whether it's online or in a school where a child will go to uh, to school but there'll be a facilitator there and there'll be a lecture streamed by teachers so the, the best teachers in the world and your child will get access to that education you know it's like in the old days in south africa when uh, we after school we went on tv there was a gentleman called will smith not yes, the actor yeah. but uh, uh, you know he was a That's the maths master, guy the maths guy and yeah. how many of us actually learned more from him than from our own school teachers mm. you know i have to thank him for passing my my uh, uh, school years so uh, i think that unbundling is happening on a very granular level the, the old days of this university that that knows everything that's the best in everything are gone and i'll give you a personal personal example now we are currently negotiating with two public universities here in south africa who are going to take our entrepreneur course and offer it as their own so they're going to be white labeling our course mm-hmm. as their own which is phenomenal because it tells me that universities are waking up to the fact that they cannot match us in coding knowledge yeah, on the concentration exactly we can't match them on the brand they can't match us on the content but we are not we are not know it alls in every field we are software developers we do we do it that's what we know best and yes. uh, you know there may be somebody else Mohammed Bana for example is a global expert in in crypto and uh, blockchain so you prepare a course and you you know you know so it's the, on on one hand there's that level of unbundling on the other hand the the traditional boundaries the traditional barriers to entry to becoming a teacher or a lecturer have also gone today you don't need a phd to become a successful teacher online you can set up your course on any platform uh, and on share youtube your some of the best educations on youtube <laughs> right right it's amazing it's you know I, when i was lecturing at university some of my students never attended class but they did all the lectures on youtube so i says well if you can't beat them join them i put my own lectures on youtube and suddenly i see there uh, to date i think there's about 100000 views on on my videos on youtube alone and these are people from all over the world thanking mm. me for putting yet yeah, i put them out to my own students right <laughs> so it's it's phenomenal how technology has just changed everything <laughs> i think i think you know having three kids and pedro you've also got some kids mm-hmm. uh, bilal do you have any kids i got three boys <laughs> three boys how old are they uh let me see 19 20 23 was this a trick question <laughs> so <laughs> you know so, yeah yeah i'm going to no i was saying that i think the business world or the the world out there doesn't is not going to in the future value just one university degree like a 3 4 year degree whereas if a child goes into the job uh, or the world and says look i've done this 6 weeks course online from mit or i've done this 6 weeks course on another uh, stanford university so that that might hold good weight in the future compared to having one degree because um the workforce is also getting funneled into uh, sectors so if someone is yeah. enjoying coding they they would go and do the best coding courses online so, you know sitting in durban you could do a coding course from the best coding like say maybe if it's silicon valley having a coding uh, course so 
the child might land up, and there's no age limit to this, so they could start at young as age 13 or 14 or 15, and there's no age limit as how high they could go. You know, whereas university predominantly was like, okay, you finish school, you're 18, now you go 18, 19, 20 to university, and by 22, 23, you must go out in the real world. Here you're going to find as young young people or even someone in their 30s or 40s who's who's trying to upskill themselves going online doing a silicon valley or a stanford or a harvard or a mit course and going back to his boss or saying you know what now i'm more qualified or applying for another position or another job uh, this is just what i see happening in the future well you know you you hit you so hit it on the head mohammed it's already happening i mean recently google apple i think facebook all announced that they no more look, they no more require degrees for people to come and work with mm -hmm. them. If you can demonstrate skills, uh, and if you got the right attitude, mm -hmm. the right culture, they will hire you. So, I mean, these guys are the trendsetters, and what they do, the rest of the world eventually follows. So, I think we we're already in the age of micro learning. It's what I call micro learning, rather than full mm -hmm. degrees. I mean, think about it, right? If one of your kids now finishes matric. For her to get into a workplace via the traditional route, so she's going to go to university for four years, then she's going to struggle for another two years to get a job, at least six to seven years before she can she can uh, get into the job market. But today, mm. you don't need that. You do a few micro micro degrees or micro uh, uh, skills courses, and within a year, you can you can get into the work uh, the workforce, and and it doesn't mean that you got into a certain type of job that you're going to remain in it for the next five, six, ten years. I mean, just this, within a week, I got uh, two people signing up for entrepreneur course. Uh, one is mm -hmm. a business lecturer who's 35 years old and who's, uh, mm -hmm. he lectures at universities on business. He calls me up. He says, look, I, uh, I want to switch careers now. I want to get into coding. So he's doing entrepreneur. Then uh, I got contacted today on LinkedIn by a school teacher who says she's uh, she's got an idea for an app that's going to be a game changer, and she wants to get into coding. So she's she wants to transition out of teaching into coding into her own app business. Now think about it, and she's probably in her late late twenties, early thirties also. So think about it. These people. Uh, are not newcomers into the market. They are seasoned uh, professionals. They've been at it for 10 years or more, but now they're seeing a need to change, to switch careers. And that's going to become the norm. That's going to become the norm where people are going to keep switching careers within, I think, every five to six years. You know, where we used to switch jobs, these people are going to switch careers. And uh, it's not going to be mm -hmm. something frowned or looked down upon. It's going to be like, ah, meh, okay, okay. Uh, uh, whatever you know, mm. so uh, I think that the way to do it is micro learning. But it also uh, it also solves a big problem here in in Africa, right? Africa has economic problems. We have youth unemployment, like you won't believe. Yes. Mm. Now I think my thinking is why put them through 12, 12 years of school and another four years of university only to come out on the other side totally unemployable 16 years if we could if we could half that time and teach them specialized skills so we have a young dynamic highly skilled workforce to go out there and raise the economy what a what a change that will make in in, in the world how it will impact our economy we'll be a 
will be a leading economy in the in 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 the world so you know you you definitely hit it on the head it it is all about micro learning nowadays i think uh, and pedro i don't know if you got the situation in portugal or europe right when the year ended last year you've got all these people graduating from school but there's limited seats and positions uh, in classrooms in universities so you're going to get people living in durban who want to go to the university in durban or the two universities but there's limited seats in the university so now there's this whole uh, you know you'll hear the community everyone's like okay fine they've got their results now my son's done well he's got his 5 a's but now we have to fight to get a seat in the university because everyone's fighting for this seat in mm-hmm. and i see that i problem going away what do you think uh, you know you know what do you think bilal Just, so that, that's the one one side of the problem uh, uh, the limited number of seats but the really ugly side of it is uh that the learning at these universities is not accessible to the bulk of the population i mean think about a child in that's another thing yeah it's it's so difficult i mean think of a child in ngoma in kwazulu natal right which is far away hundreds of kilometers away from the closest university it's going even if she gets a full scholarship a full bursary to study mm. she'll still have to leave home she'll still have to go find cost, the huge cost and the it's it's phenomenal it i mean for us uh, what i would call us as middle class it's 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 staggering but for the poorer classes it's uh, it's impossible some of them won't even look uh, pedro you can relate to probably nigeria pedro's visited nigeria many many times and he's a honorary consul at the lagos office there uh, so pedro you can relate in nigeria where you've got people that are very entrepreneurial in nigeria and i think the word you used bilal was skills okay and uh, i i just made a note of that word the simple word called skills right but uh solving problems is more important uh let's say i wouldn't say more important just but having the skill to solve a problem you know so if someone mm-hmm. can cook they can feed their family yeah Do you know what i, I mean i think i think the so, key word the key word that you are saying now is feeding their family because the the problem i think that with today's society is that uh it, it doesn't acknowledge that people have different objectives in life i would say that 80% 90% of of people maybe they want to have a nice salary a good family a reasonably comfortable house a small car and you know raise their kids this is what i want balance and time free time weekends this is what people want and for those i agree i think micro learning is for those because if i want to just have a job in a bank i don't need to learn physics you know i need to work in excel i need to use powerpoint i need to be able to dress myself to talk and it's enough to be cashier in a bank if i want to be a trader of small things buy buy pens sell pens more expensive than i bought it maybe i don't even need that i, I don't even need excel or nothing it's just you know buy and sell mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but if if i want to perform open heart surgeries i would be extremely scared to do a surgical <laughs> operation <laughs> yeah you know i learned this from mit online and you know i good i got good grades i would be extremely scared because it requires a lot of discipline to learn certain things if someone wants to send a rocket to mars and it lands in mars without exploding and out of the rocket comes out a new machine and this machine does things on the soil of mars you know 
I, I, I think I would bet on a PhD in physics and, you know, rockets and avionics. More, so it, it, it really depends. On the circumstances. I, I, I think that university is an, an overkill and a waste of time and a waste of money for 90% of the population. That's the problem. For 10% is not enough. <laughs> for 10%. Pedro, you used to also you used to mention to me that uh, all the guys who got, uh, where was it? Was uh, Mark Zuckerberg and, and all these guys got into, was it Harvard? Yes. But the fact that they could get into Harvard, they didn't have to finish at Harvard, but the fact that they got into Harvard showed that they had certain skills to get there. Because, you know, place. my point being that uh, university and education is not only and maybe not, not mainly about knowledge. It's about surpass, surpassing obstacles, being able to follow instructions. What I learned more in, in my uh, education was not really the content, was really to force me to sit down, read for six hours straight, read 100 pages per day, memorize everything, be able to... So this capacity to have discipline, because anyone that wants to send a rocket to Mars will have to be able to sit down in silence, reading, writing, thinking, making... This, this is this discipline. And so in this case of these guys, these Zuckerbergs and all of that, uh, for the investors, it's relevant to say, okay, this guy had extremely high grades, to the point of entering Harvard, so he has discipline. It's not just, you know, out of control thinking ideas, you know, it's someone that is focused and is able to execute. Uh, but this is exceptional people. That's why I'm saying for 90% mm -hmm. of the population, university, in my opinion, mm -hmm. is a waste of time. And today, everyone wants to go there, waste their time. But for 10%, University is not even enough, you know, they have to go do PhDs and all of that because the challenges they will have to address require, you know, deep knowledge, deep discipline, uh, extreme resilience to pain because it's painful to sit down and read for hours and hours and hours. It's painful, but uh, requires the discipline of not giving up. And, and if I, I'm going to have a brain surgery, I hope that the guy that is going to do it was <laughs> tested uh on that yeah. uh on that you know on that discipline of not giving up and being focused and in control and no i, I like yeah. where where the conversation has gone because now it's going to lead on to something else that in our country we have another problem probably so i agree i mean you want doctors to come out of university you want architects or engineers to come out of university but our country now has 60 million people, I would say, Bilal, right? And there's still mm. so many kids uh, from the population, okay? As you said, you've got this 10% that's wealthy and going to top schools. I mean, we've got some of the best schools, uh, I won't say in the world, but you've got the Kersneys, which are 100,000 Rand and uh, 200,000 Rand and the Hilton Colleges and whatnot. But then you've got people just two kilometers away, which children cannot even afford to go to school. Uh, we've got big issues with textbooks getting printed in the school. Correct, Bilal? Where, mm -hmm. you know, govern government allocates money to print textbooks to go to schools, but that money doesn't get channeled to actually get delivered. So the textbooks don't get delivered because of corruption. So I think in Africa, I'm talking, uh, you know, Pedro, where, as in Africa, we need a solution to just 
micro skill, the people that can't even afford to get to school. Okay, so say even in Nigeria, maybe four hours out of Lagos, a child growing up just playing in the sand, playing with a tire, but now it's 10 years old. So, you know, that's the situation here in South Africa where if we get our population, you know, you know, in Bilal, I always had this dream. I would call it a dream, a vision, because we all love South Africa being born here, that if they start educating, say, all seven-year-olds every year for the next 10 years, then you're going to watch that seven-year-old become 17. And being educated, poverty, uh, no, violence and crime would start dropping, wouldn't you say? Uh, that education affects, you know, community violence and crime also. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's, there's, uh, it's one of the, the the causes of of crime, right? Unemployment, poverty. It's definitely one of the the causes. And you know, I agree with uh, with what you guys are saying. I agree with Pedro also that there's there's certain uh, there's certain professions that you absolutely have to have a degree because a degree will will show your competence level. Uh, I'm not going to take your word for it that you you know. Uh, um, the brain surgery, for example, without without a degree. So there's that. But I think I think looking looking at the future, um, those kinds of degrees also will become a lot more accessible to everyone. And my my issue is that there are you know there are people studying at universities, say Nelson Mandela Medical University. There are people that are studying there that are obviously from the vast majority are from homes that can afford it. They are from middle to upper class uh, environments where uh, they were given the opportunity to do well at school and to go to university mm-hmm. and to study. But what about the child who's who's again? Let's let's uh, let's take Nangoma in, in uh, northern rural KwaZulu Natal. There's a child there who is potentially the best brain surgeon in the world, right? She's got it in her. How do we give that child That's it. an opportunity? Yeah. So, I think, I, yeah. So I think, I think there's going to be in the future. There's going to be that unbundling we spoke about, and there's going to be a blended, a blended mode where you know she'll be able to possibly do the theory at a learning center near her home, which will be, uh, which will stream lectures from Nelson Mandela University. And when it comes to the latter part of her studies, she'd probably now be required to go to university. And do her prax there, or do her prax at a universe, at a hospital in her area, under the the supervision of a of an experienced surgeon. So I think I think there's that that yes, there is the 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 need for highly skilled, highly qualified people. But I also believe that this this uh, you know distribution of learning, decentralization of learning, can even affect those qualifications. We can still produce doctors of the highest category without them having to go to the two or three universities, medical universities we've got in this, in this country. So, you know, we just need to apply our minds to it and see how we can apply technology to, to streamline this. Mm-hmm. And uh, in fact, not long ago, I think it was about two years ago, I was at a meeting at Nelson Mandela University around e-learning, how they are using, they are starting to use e-learning and this was well before uh, lockdown and things. So there is a move towards that. And they are bringing, you know, in that one session that we attended, there were some of the best doctors in the world. There were doctors from Germany and other, other areas that were now lecturing via streaming 
into Nelson Mandela. So I'm saying, let's take it one step further. Let's take that learning using technology throughout the country, not just to these to these two or three centers, which are overbooked every year as it is. Interesting. Mm-hmm. You think, you think that, that there's, is, that there is the need for a, I don't know how to position this, but to because these days, at least in Europe, the, the government sponsors education for everyone. Uh, should we have like screening, aggressive screening, and say this one goes to university we sponsor, this other one goes to the micro learning and just going to be trying to to service, you know, in a shop or in an insurance company or whatever, to segment the population and this yeah, way think, focus think, resources yeah. only on the ones that have high potential. Yeah, I think I think the best, to me, the best way of screening is to just give people an opportunity. With with online learning, for example, uh, mm-hmm. here's a, a down-to-earth example. If, if somebody, let's say our medical school set up 20 uh, satellite campuses around KwaZulu-Natal in some of the most underserved areas. And they they offer a three-month course in certain certain subjects via streaming. They put the kids through an, uh, an exam. Give everybody an opportunity. Yes. Put them through an exam mm-hmm. and say, well, okay, you passed that exam. Now you've proven that you are capable. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. th- th- that's, that's it. Th- that's what I feel because... You know, here in South Africa, I don't know how it is in Europe and in Portugal. That you have to have like, uh, you know, there's six subjects in, in school. You have to get eight A's. So in other words, yeah, you yeah. have to complete all six subjects, get an A in that. And you have to have done two additional subjects and get A's in those mm-hmm. just to get to medical school. Yeah, yeah. The My question here. is, what is the correlation between getting eight A's and being a good doctor? Mm-hmm. There's no correlation. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, As Pedro uh, said, you're disciplined enough to read the textbook yeah. for six hours at a time. <laughs> there, there is correlation with other things, with discipline and focus, I think. But that can be very inhumane, can be very inhumane, can be... Only uh, what I'm saying is may, maybe uh, to be a good doctor, you have to have those A's, but it's not enough. I'm trying to say you need also to have human sensibility, sensitivity, and know, uh, and like other fellow humans, and you know, yeah, and a true passion for people, for yeah, true passion you know, for people, caring yeah. for people. Okay, let me yeah. let me put a spanner in the works. You know, there's there's countries or and I've read articles on this, right? Like I think it was Japan, where the workforce is very very driven. Uh, have you heard that, Bilal? Like in Japan, people yeah. are very driven in their work, but they find that their happiness level and their contentment level is very low. Okay, and uh, Pedro, can you can you see that? Where the, the workforce is very driven, but their happiness—they're not mm-hmm. happy in their jobs. Okay, they're very just working all the hours. I I think p- things like YouTube help introduce kids to things that make them happier. So if, if a child wants to play around with pipes and then he realizes, hey, I'm good at this and welding and starts watching videos on how to weld. And next thing you know, he's going into a plumbing industry or someone's in the kitchen watching recipes the whole time on YouTube. And then their their skills, they enjoy becoming a chef, you know, Uh, something like that. I say, I would find that this things like YouTube or this micro learning would help people 
be more happy long term, maybe. Because you'd find people becoming doctors and then uh, like Riyadh Musa in South Africa, right, Bilal? We've got a guy, he's a qualified doctor, and then he becomes a comedian after a few years. So <laughs> he studied so many years, but just couldn't cut it as a doctor. Realized it's not what he wanted to do. Because in the end, oh, it's all about, all, all, all is about freedom. You know, it's about freedom. The one, the one that wants to study 12 years focused and do nothing else can do it. But the one that says, you know, I'm going to focus for six months and get the basic skills also can do it. So uh, happiness comes from freedom, you know, and, and uh, development of our societies comes from freedom. If we, if we believe that people use that freedom for, for good. 100%. Not just not just freedom, I think also to serve. I mean, some people, they enjoy being a chef. I mean, they can have freedom and money is just part of it, but they really enjoy cooking or someone uh, enjoys But what cars. I'm saying is that imagine you enjoy being a chef and you are forced, so no freedom, to go to mm. university, learn physics, learn mathematics. Mm. You say, I don't need any physics to, 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 mm. to cook a chicken, you know? So mm. let, let, let me be free, let me do what I like, and, yes. uh, and but uh, there is another person that if he doesn't study 12 years straight of mathematics to be the next Einstein, is going to be deeply... Uh, of course. And so the world needs both. We need, we need our, our grilled chicken, and we also need that rocket <laughs> that, rocket that not explode. Yes. Yeah. We need both. Look, otherwise, <laughs> otherwise, we won't have companies like Tesla and SpaceX. Yes, and all otherwise it's only chickens. Yeah. <laughs> but without chickens, yeah, the, the, the guys from Tesla starve to death. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And Bilal. Do you, what what yeah. are the new, I mean, the uh, in Africa, what are you seeing happening with the education going up into North Africa um, with the different languages? Are there any other challenges? Because in North Africa, they speak a lot of Arabic. There's so many different languages coming down. You are mentioning uh, your apps in different languages. Can you just tell us more about that? Yeah, so I think uh, the trend that's that's uh, that's sweeping through Africa and and the world, uh, you know, as much as uh, we we hold our traditional languages near and dear to us, but I think uh, there's pretty much everybody is going to be English literate. Now, to give you an example, mm -hmm. we are uh, talking to a few schools in China of all places to get our apps there, our English based apps uh together uh, at those schools and there's a lot of interest because with the chinese people there's a there's a very strong drive towards learning english uh this has been uh you know a, a government decrease since the past two decades but now only we're seeing it accelerating so i think yes the the, the traditional languages uh, swahili arabic and our local languages etc uh are, are going to have their place but we're going to see more and more of the world uniting on on English as the global uh, language. That's what I'm. That's what I foresee. Yes. Uh, and uh, you know, I mean, no matter what, we, we all have to come to common ground. We have to come to a common language at some stage. So in Africa, what I foresee is a lot of universities uh, live streaming lectures from their campuses at their major centers into satellite campuses in uh africa so you, you name it uh, 
uh, UCT, for example, University of Cape Town could stream lectures into Dar es Salaam and Khabarone and... Uh, oh, that uh, would be really amazing, huh? Yeah. And, and what's going to happen is that it's not fully online because there are going to be lecturers and facilitators at the campuses. So lear a learner in, say, Khabarone will go into a, a, a campus, there's a facilitator there, there's a huge... Uh, projection screen there, uh, she'll be able to see her lecturer. The lecturer will be able to see her, she'll be able to raise her hand, ask questions, or interact with the lecturer via uh, via chat. It's it's going to be, uh, it's going to take a bit of getting used to, but it's going to be a phenomenal, phenomenal new model. In fact, I, I designed a setup like that for a private institute here in South Africa, but unfortunately, they 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 couldn't get the business side of it going. But the technology was a thing of beauty. It was absolutely, absolutely amazing. You could you could sit in that lecture and uh, and look at that lecturer talking to you in real time as though the person is present. So I think in Africa, uh, that's the way that uh, of the future. That's way that's the way we're going to get make learning more accessible to the to uh, Africa's poorest and most out of reach people. So in the next ten years, we're going to see a lot a lot more universities uh, teaching cross border in in that way. I think also with the improvement on our internet connection and speed, uh, mm -hmm. so Google's investing heavily into, and Amazon's investing heavily into Southern Africa, and there's talk of uh, blimps, or what you say, like these balloons that would give off uh, Wi-Fi signals, or uh, have you heard of that, Bilal? Yeah, yeah, I've heard of that. It's, uh, it's, it's been very successful. But our man Elon Musk took it one step further. With he satellites. is oh, yes. putting satellites with his, uh, what's it called, Skynet or Skylink. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Skylink, which has gone live. Yes. I mean, these things are beaming internet to even the remotest parts. I think uh, two or three Skylink satellites in South Africa and uh, MTN. That's Vodacom, a game changer. Telcom, <laughs> in big trouble. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Yeah, I, th I think that is part of the evolution of this whole education process, that if once internet becomes cheap, the cost of data, like Pedro, the cost of data in South Africa is so much more expensive than what you'll pay in, uh, in Europe, you know? Yeah, yeah. Now, you know, I think the, what you're talking about is so important because there's no reason for Africa to have slower internet than the rest of the world. I can understand they have worse power, worse roads, you know, but uh, internet, you know, when, when I'm in Africa, it's painful. It's painful because it doesn't move, nothing moves. Yeah, And here in Europe, we are used to to just press a button and uh, and have 200 megabits per second, you know? which oh, means... That is amazing. <laughs> yeah, here in the office, we have more than 200 megabits per second. Uh, oh, wow. So yeah, we're both saying, wow, Bilal, we, we just we press a button and anything happens like, like instantaneously. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's truly instantaneous. Any website is like it's preloaded. It just pops out, it just pops in the screen. And uh, this facilitates so much. When, when, when I'm sometimes when I'm when I'm in Africa, particularly in Nigeria, that's the place where I go more frequently. Uh, I notice that I end up uh, arrive at the end of the day exhausted, and I say, "Why I'm so tired?" You know, you, you know, it was a normal day. Why I'm so tired? But then I realize it's the small things. It's the small things. Is the internet that doesn't load? Is the power that in the blackouts? 
15 minutes but breaks the the, the pace of the meeting is traffic is you know and by the end of the it's day crazy. yeah only one, if i stay for example three weeks the first week i'm always exhausted the other two i already adjusted i feel fine but the first week normally i end up exhausted by the end of the day it's the small I, I things can, draining can, energy and i think one of those is is internet must be solved in africa there's no reason to to not stream it fast to give information to everyone is so important free information yeah. particularly uh, i always say this countries like south africa and nigeria have a huge advantage is that almost everyone speaks in english Yeah. Mm-hmm. Imagine a poor guy from from Congo DRC, you know, as like one percent of the free content available that a South African has, because he speaks French. Yeah. But, yeah, and yeah. if it's uh, uh, in Thailand, it's going to be even worse. Yeah, or in a, a, a country that is not an European language, because the 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 content will be even less available. So yes, if if we give Nigerians, if we give Uh, south africans and other english-speaking fast internet people can learn people can consume people can watch videos it must be fast and cheap of course fast and cheap yeah true plus we've got additional problems with load shedding you know electricity yeah is a uh, is unstable in our country uh i mean i think it's just political will just the right leadership should come in and They can make sweeping changes like this and really mm. transform the tech sector. I mean, for a small business like mine that's internet-based, two hours a day of unproductive time with power failures is crippling. It really kills us. Well, let me just show you, just, just to see it's no bullshit. I'm, I'm trying to try to, you can see it, just to see if, he, if it shows. You see? Wow, 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 wow. <laughs> this is download. <laughs> Oh, Max Dowd. Amazing, huh? Yeah. And now it's going to upload, let's see. It's the same. Sure. Download and upload the same speed and ultra fast. Bilal, we are envious of him now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this this somehow just but this there's no reason for this to not exist in Africa because w- w- what is missing? The cable with the internet should be connected so, to something. So the the thing is we do have speed available but the cost is so high okay uh, it's just even from someone's monthly salary bill so much like what i would call it 20 30% is going towards data yes. you know from the average person or in our office in, in, in nigeria you know I, i i would get so frustrated with the, the low speed of internet and all this uh, all these uh, internet service providers would give me very slow speeds so we talked with the company that connects Nigeria to the internet. It's a company called Main One, and we talk with them and say we have this problem because we are always using video conferences and it fails and you know it drops. So they connected us directly to the submarine cable, and we were able to get 50 megabits per second in an office in Nigeria, but cost us 2,500 euros per month. Mm. 2,500 mm. euros per month. <laughs> the internet service, but but it was like proper speeds inside the now, office now that was quarter of the speed of what you're getting in portugal a quarter now. of the speed and but at a you see 2500 euros yes. yeah and why didn't yeah you could look up it's like three thousand dollars per month internet bill that's exactly <laughs> what the whole of africa is going through so i i think another thing bilal i know we're going to wrap up just now in a few minutes but the private sector in america is now expanding globally like how 
apps like YouTube, Google, everything's gone global. Guys like uh, Elon Musk and uh, the satellite, what you call, what was the name? The internet over the satellites. These things are going to filter through in Africa. So you're going to see the private sector uh, coming in with the technology and probably help improve Africa. Absolutely. I think, I think yes, that, that is happening. It, it, it's, it's definitely uh, where they want to play next because they're seeing Africa as the next frontier. Yes. But what I would like to see is homegrown African country, uh, companies beat them to the draw. Because, mm. I mean, these guys are going to set up, yes, they're going to, I'm not denying they're going to they're gonna provide valuable services, but the bulk of the revenue is going to be taken out of the continent back to the United States. I would rather prefer that, you know, innovative young African countries come up with solutions that match those and uh, and just grow internally. Uh, that that would be something that I, I would I would like to see in the future of Africa. Yeah, that would be great. Bilal, it has been amazing talking to you and Pedro. Thank you. And I really Likewise. enjoyed Very nice to meet having... you, Bilal. Yeah, likewise. We must stay connected. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When I, when I go to South Africa, we shake hands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that will be great. Later we'll have a nice lunch at the <laughs> office. And uh, thank you for your time, both Pedro and Bilal. And I a think pleasure. we'll come to a close today. And uh, if any viewers would like to put any questions, comments, uh, feel free to ask us anything and we'll try and get back to you. Thanks, Fantastic. Bilal. Thanks, Fantastic. Pedro. Thanks a lot, Mohamed. Thanks, Pedro. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Okay. Thank you. Bye.